Oh, good morning. It's really, really good to be with you guys this Sunday, to worship with you and to praise the one true God. There's only one. There's only one, and he's given us eyes to see him if you're his, and that's, that's worthy of praise. So if you would, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Uh, we will be looking at verses thir- uh, 27 through 36 this morning, a large chunk in, uh, of Scripture today. In fact, we have, we have about five points to go through. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move as succinctly and as quickly as possible. Uh, so we'll be getting into that. So while you're turning there... Um, Again, Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 27. This is really kind of a continuing thought from last week. It's a continuing thought from last week, which if you remember, uh, we discussed that Jesus is really, he's a man that doesn't really believe in neutrality. Jesus is a man that doesn't believe in neutrality. He's not a man that allows for any kind of middle road. There's There's not three roads. There's not the wide road, the narrow road, and this middle road. There's only two roads. There's only two teams, two camps, two types of people. There are those that believe and those that don't believe. There are those who are with him. There are those who are against him. There are those who are on mission with Jesus, and there are those who are on mission against Jesus. That's it. It's two camps. There are those who are filled. Those are those who are empty. There are those who are blessed and those who are cursed. And this week, it kind of continues into those who see and those who don't see with a capital S. There are those who see and those who don't see. That really is the main issue here, meaning that unbelief or being against Jesus rather than with him, all of these things we talked about last week are really determined by whether or not someone sees or doesn't see. The question is, see what? And the answer, according to Jesus, in this text is, see the light. We've heard that phrase before. We've probably said it before. I've seen the light. We're going to listen today from the scriptures what Jesus means by that. In fact, the Old Testament speaks of the light often throughout the prophets and throughout the Psalms, throughout a lot of the uh, Old Testament. Jesus obviously talks about light and darkness a lot. Paul picks up on this uh, in his epistles where he talks about light and darkness. And so this concept of light and darkness is it's a seems to be a pretty important concept. It's a pretty amazing natural reality that we see often in our world that God seems to feel is a really good picture of a spiritual reality that Jesus wants to point to. And so really, light should be understood as truth revealed. When you see the word light in Scripture, most of the time, it should be understood as truth revealed. In fact, the biggest questions of life like, like who we are, where did we come from, why are we here, and where are we going? These, these really have stumped all of mankind for as long as humanity has been around. The truth, and there is only one truth to those questions. There's only one truth to those, these questions, but the truth, the answer to these questions, really, they're impossible to know without revelation. Without revelation from the one who actually started it all. Without revelation from the one true God, you can't know the answers to these questions. 
what you're left with is creating your own truths. Without revelation, you're, you're left with creating your own truths and doing only what you believe is right in your own eyes. And this is our world today. It's blind leading the blind. People just kind of groping around in the dark, grasping on any semblance of truth that they can kind of just conjure up with inside themselves, within their own experiences. And so the world makes up its own reality. The world makes up its own reality. We as human race, if you think about it, if you look at our world today, we have no idea who we are. No clue. Male, female, no idea. Man, animal, human animal, no idea. Life, clump of cells, no clue. We're left in the dark. No one knows where we came from. No one knows how we got here. No one knows why we're here. And so they make up their own version of the truth. They make up their own version of reality. And so many people have tried to make really good guesses. They've made really, really good guesses in their mind. And if you talk to most, they will act like they know the answers to these questions, but they have no clue. Jesus says they're walking in darkness. They're walking in darkness, but light removes darkness. Light exposes what is hidden in the dark. Light reveals what is true and real. It reveals the truth. What is truth? What is truth? Well, truth is that which comports with reality. It's what's real. Light reveals the reality of our existence, meaning our entire existence, the, the entire purpose for which we were created. Light reveals the entire meaning of life, namely, namely to see, trust, love, and worship Jesus Christ. That's the meaning of life. He is where we came from. He's why we are here. It is to him and through him and for him that all things exist. And once we see this, once you are given eyes to see the reality of the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ and the purpose for which you live, it will change everything in you. It will change everything. It will change the way you see the world, the way you see your neighbors, the way you see your workplace, the way you see this gathering here. Everything you do changes when you know why you exist, and it's for His glory, for Him. But we must have eyes to see it. We must have eyes to see it. And so even we... Even we must continuously pray, and that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to pray that God would open our eyes to the truth of his word this morning, that we would see truth revealed, that light would come in, and that it would have its full effect. Let's do that this morning. Let's go to our Lord. Father, it is a beautiful thing to come and worship you together. We thank you, God, that you have, for many, if not maybe almost all of us in here, God, you have opened our eyes. You have revealed the truth. But God, it is easy to forget. With our eyes open, we tend to look to things other than you. So refocus our eyes this morning on you, Jesus. Refocus our minds and our hearts, oh God. May we not be like the world. 
May we not be people who just kind of make up our own reality, our own truths, but remember that you have opened our eyes to the truth. And I ask that you would do that in us again this morning. Realign our minds, realign our hearts. Satisfy. Oh God, satisfy our souls with you and your love for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you should be at, at verse 27 of Luke chapter 11. And while Jesus was saying these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the woman that carried you in the breast at which you nursed. And he said, On the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and follow it. Now as the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is a wicked generation. It demands a sign. And so no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, <clears throat> so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up with the men of this generation at the judgment and condemn them. Because she came from the ends of the earth to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one lights a lamp and puts it away in a cellar or under a basket, but on a lampstand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is clear, your whole body also is full of light. But when it is bad, your body also is full of darkness. So watch out. Watch out that the light in you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light without any dark part in it, it will be wholly illuminated as when the, as when the lamp illuminates you with its light. This is God's word. The main point today, the main point today is this, that the eyes that see, the eyes that see, they bear fruit of faith, repentance, and worship. The eyes that see will bear fruit of faith, repentance, and worship. And so, starting in verse 27, we were, this is where we left off last week, if you'll remember. 27 through 29, it's kind of a bridge, if you will, between the last week's text and this week's text. It's a, it's a bridge that kind of connects them together because it's really at the heart of what we're going to be discussing. Namely, again, the aim of the book of Luke. The aim of the book of Luke, which is God's revelation to us and himself, the truth of God's word, most expressly communicated to us in Jesus Christ, the aim of it is that that would be firmly rooted in us or, or clearly seen or clearly perceived so that it would guard us, so that the truth would guard us and protect us from lies. Lies of self-sufficiency, lies of self-righteousness, lies of worldly satisfaction, meaning that when the revelation of God is clearly seen, it reveals who you are, a sinner before a holy God. Light exposes that. 
It reveals where you come from. The very God, the one true God who made you in all of creation. It reveals why you are here. You are here to enjoy making much of him forever. This is why you exist. And it reveals where you're going. It reveals where you're going, either into his presence for, forever, worshiping him forever, or into his wrath forever. Those are the two choices. And when that is seen, when the light shines on the eyes that see, it bears fruit of repentance of that sin that was revealed to you. It bears fruit of a repentant heart that of the sin that separated you from this loving, awesome, glorious God. And then, and then what it does is it produces a faith, a faith in that God to be faithful to draw you back to himself, to find a way to bring you back to himself, to reconcile that relationship, faith in him to do it. And then it produces worship as the outflow of gratitude and trust in the God of your salvation. And so Jesus says that the blessed person, the blessed person is the one who hears about the revelation of this one true glorious God. Hears about the revelation of God and bears fruit. That's the person that's blessed. Another way to say it, is blessed is the one who sees the light and is changed by it. Until we get to verse 29, we get to verse 29 and it says the crowds were increasing. More and more people were coming to see this man, this miracle worker, this teacher. But they weren't coming to repent, believe, and worship. Not most of them. Some were. Most of them were not. They came, it says here, seeking a sign. It says they came seeking a sign. It says, verse 29, Now as the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is a wicked generation. It demands a sign. And so no sign will be given to it except for the sign of Jonah. So sub-point one, the wicked seek with a heart of unbelief. The wicked, the evil, they seek with a heart of unbelief. Jesus calls this generation, which we should understand the word generation means the leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the ones that are kind of leading the band, leading the pack, the political elite of the Jewish people. That's the generation that Jesus is referring to. He calls them wicked. The word is poneros, which means evil, means dark, the opposite of light. It's against God. It's against him. And why does he call them evil? It says because they seek for a sign. Not because of child sacrifice. Not because of pagan ritual. Not because of some heinous, uh, ungodly act that we would consider heinous sins or crimes against God but because they seek a sign, calls them wicked or evil. See, the crowds, they were seeking signs because they had, they had bought the narrative. They had bought the narrative of the leaders, the, the leaders, the same people who would mock Jesus later on the cross. The very same leaders who would say, he saved others, he can't even save himself. They would say, come down on the off that cross and then we'll believe. They had no intention of believing, even if Jesus did do that. It was mockery. They were mocking him. And it's the same now. The same leaders that are now propagating this lie. They're propagating this lie all throughout Israel. And these blind followers, they are buying it. They're buying it hook, line, and sinker. 
Jesus calls them all evil. He calls them all evil, wicked, because they saw the glory of God. They saw the glory of God. They saw the kingdom power of God. They saw, they saw truth revealed, but they did not see it. Like the generation of Isaiah, they would see but not see. Hear but not hear. They would see but not believe. And in their unbelief, in that unbelief, they say, give us another sign. Give me another sign. In the suppression of the truth that's right in front of them, they say, show me more. Show me more. They ask for more proof. And Jesus calls this unbelief. He calls this wicked or evil. The author of Hebrews agrees. Hebrews 3.12 says, Take care, brothers and sisters, that there will not be in any one of you a, a what kind of heart? An evil, unbelieving heart. Unbelief is evil. Unbelief is foul. Unbelief is dark. It's this way because unbelief in God, not trusting God, not believing God, is always belief in something else. It's always belief in something else. It is always exchanging truth for a lie. God of all creation says, this is who I am. This is who I am. And the creatures say, no, it's not. No, it's not. It's not what I believe you to be. Evil. God says, this is my son. Listen to him. The creature says, no, he isn't. It's beelzebub. It's beelzebub. God says, your sin separates you from me. And the creature says, what sin? What sin? Unbelief is always an exchange of the truth for a lie. It's always the desire to love darkness rather than the light. That's why it's so evil. And that's exactly what is going on with this generation. The leadership of Israel and those who are following them. This was not an evidence problem. This is not an evidence problem. This is not an intellectual problem at all. This is totally a heart problem. This is a love problem. This is a treasure problem. This is a desire problem. They sought or desired a sign because they did not believe. Because they would not believe. And they did not believe because their hearts loved, treasured, adored their sin. They believed in themselves. They believed in their religion. They believed in their own righteousness. They believed in their rule-keeping. And they trusted this man-made God. This is the blindness of all humanity. This is the blindness of humanity. God reveals who he is. Holy, righteous, just, perfect, hater of sin, hater of sinner. And we say, well, my God would never. My God would never say hate. My God doesn't hate. My God is a God of love. And when we do that, we've broken the first commandment already, and we have fashioned a God in our own likeness. We've made up a false God in our, own, in our head, one that does not disagree with us. We make up a God, and we fashion a God that doesn't demand holiness. It doesn't demand justice. It doesn't demand payment for sin. It doesn't judge sin. In fact, it's been said that God made man in his own image, and, and man returned the favor. We just want a God in our own image. 
We just want a God in our own image that we can snuggle up to at night and obey so easily because this God, well, he's just like me. He loves what I love. He adores what I adore. He thinks the way I think. Right? My God would never say that I'm evil. Never. Certainly my God wouldn't say that I need to be saved. No, I'm a child of Abraham. I go to church. I pray. I give to the poor. I'm not evil. Certainly my God wouldn't say that I need to repent or that I need to change. No, my God loves me the way I am. My God says that I'm good even. I'm wonderful. I'm powerful. I have everything in me I need to be good. I just got to... It's got to focus on myself. That's my God. My God would never destroy a nation that's evil. My God would never be about his own glory and praise and be that narcissistic. My God would forgive everyone and so on and so on and so on and so on. And when the light of who truly God is when the light of who God truly is shines on that hard, self-loving heart, they suppress. They refuse to see the truth of who God is, and they run. They hate the light because it contradicts them. And so they will suppress it. They hate the knowledge of a holy, righteous, just, perfect, sovereign God who says, you are not good. You are not good. Your love of self is actually anti-purpose. It is not the purpose for which I made you. I did not make you to love yourself. I made you to love, worship, and adore me, Jesus Christ, your creator. It's not the reason I made you, and it's killing you. It will damn you forever. Those that love self, they hate the God that says, deny yourself, take up your cross. Follow me. They hate that God. And so they cover their eyes. They cover their eyes. They refuse to see. And then they demand for more proof. They cover their eyes and say, all right, show me more, God. They refuse to see it. They refuse to see it. To which Jesus says, no. No. No more signs will be given but the sign of Jonah. Point number two is this, that the word of God, the word of God is a better light than miracles. The word of God is a better light than miracles. The word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We don't need signs and wonders. We have the word of God and we see Jesus here in this next section that I mean, think about it. Right after saying, blessed are those who hear the word of God, he then directs them back away from signs and away from wonders and away from miracles and away from evidences. And he points them where? Back to the scriptures. This is where he takes them. He takes them to the scriptures. He says, no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. And so the sign of Jonah should be understood as his death, burial, and resurrection. And we understand that easily because it's more frank in, in the Matthew account when he says, For just as Jonah was, in, was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so that's the way we should understand it. 
Here in Luke, he says, For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. What did Jonah do? Right? He, he ran. He got swallowed up. He got spit out. And then he obeyed. And he went to Nineveh, a pagan Gentile city, and he proclaimed judgment. He proclaimed judgment. Jonah 3.4 says this, then, then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk. So he's, he's walking through the city, and it takes a day to do it. And he cried out, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's all he gives us. That's all he said. 40 days. You got 40 days, and you're done. It's time to repent. Repent of your sin. Repent of your evilness. Repent of your heinous acts. You got 40 days and the wrath of God is coming. Jesus is saying that this is the sign that you will see. This is the sign you will see. In other words, I will fulfill the scriptures to which you would do well. You would do well to observe and to keep. But you're not. You're not looking to the scriptures. You're looking to man. You're looking to the ways of man, the logic of man. If you look to the scriptures, you would see that I will give my life as a ransom for you according to the scriptures. I will go into the earth for three days, and then like Jonah, I will come out of the depths of the earth and I will live according to the scriptures. I will satisfy the just demands of God. I will satisfy the wrath of God for you, and I will go down, I will pay the price for your sin according to the scriptures. I will rise again. I will rise again, proving once and for all that I am who I say that I am. I am who the scriptures foretold I would be. And you would know it if you would look to the scriptures. If you would look to the scriptures. My greatest light, revelation, evidence, it's actually going to work as a judgment for you. It's actually going to work as judgment for you for those who are walking in darkness, for those who love the darkness. It's going to, this light is going to make you be like a cockroach that runs. John 3.19 says this, and this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. They love their evil deeds and they hate the light that exposes them, so they run. In fact, in Luke 16, he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Even if someone should rise from the dead, those who love their evil deeds will hate even that light, and they will run. They will run. Jesus is saying, the question is, will you see, with a capital S, will you see me in the scriptures? Will you see Jesus in the scriptures? Or will you suppress the truth? Will you continue to seek signs and wonders and miracles as your evidence for who God is and what he's doing? Or will you look to the scriptures, the very word of God, and see that I fulfilled them? I fulfilled them. Like Jonah, Jesus is saying, your time is almost up. 
Your time is almost up. It's time to repent. It's time to believe in the good news of salvation, promised and fulfilled. If you don't, you will deny the greatest revelation of truth that has ever been or ever will be. And if so, you will suffer God's just judgment forever. In verse 31 and 32, he continues to kind of take them down more into, into the scriptures. And he gives them some more examples. And it's their very own scriptures. These aren't some random scriptures. These are the ones they should have known. These are ones they've studied from their youth. And he's reminding them of what it looks like to hear the word of God and respond. To hear the word of God and keep it. And he points them back to the scriptures. He points them back to the response of a Gentile woman in a Gentile nation. Two nations with far less revelation, far less revelation than any Jew, and yet a better response. The queen of the south, we understand is queen of Sheba. This is from 1 Kings chapter 10. It says that she just heard. She's from a very distant nation, a very distant country. It says she merely heard of the wisdom of Israel and had to hear it for herself. She wasn't satisfied with her own man-made wisdom. She wasn't satisfied with knowing her wisdom as the ultimate wisdom. She wanted to know what is the truth. So she sought it out. She went to Israel to seek it out. And when she did, she found Solomon and all his wisdom but what she really found was the wisdom of God. And her response was awe, worship, praise. In fact, she ended up giving more to Israel out of response of worship because she was so amazed at the wisdom of God that she gave more than Israel had ever received from any other nation in the history of Israel, then and ever will. She was amazed she was amazed at the worship, and it resulted in worship. The Jews have heard Jesus. They've, they, they've seen the King of Kings. They've heard his wisdom that exceeds Solomon, and yet there's no worship. There's no worship. More wisdom, more light, but they still walk in darkness. This Gentile woman that saw less than you, she rejoiced at the wisdom of Solomon, and I made Solomon. I'm the one who granted him the wisdom. And I'm here. And yet you see and hear me, but there's no worship. In the same way, Jonah was a prophet of God. Jonah was a prophet of God who spoke for God. You have heard infinitely more warnings from God incarnate. The Ninevites, this, this Gentile nation that repented, will judge you for your hardness of heart. Matthew 12 says Jesus says he's greater than the temple. Later in Matthew 12 and here, it says he's greater than Solomon. He's greater than Jonah. In fact, <clears throat> all of Scripture has been pointing to Jesus, all of it. And now Jesus is saying, I'm here, I'm here, and you have seen the true prophet, the true priest, the true king. So much more has been revealed to you. So much more has been revealed to you, but you say, show me more. You say, show me more. Prove to me you're not of Satan. But seeing they could not see, even though more was revealed, and so they will be more culpable. To that who's been revealed much, 
more is expected. They will be more culpable. And how much more is that true for us today? How much more is that true for us today? We have all the scriptures. We have all the scriptures. We have the very word of God. We have the testimony of the gospel accounts. We have the teachings of Jesus. We have the apostles. We have the church history. We have all the saints since the birth of the church. We have book after book after book that are solid biblical books that point us to the scriptures. So much has been revealed to us. We have so much truth available to us today. How much more culpable is the person today? How much more responsible to believe and repent and trust and worship is the person today that rejects Christ? How much more urgent, therefore, should our message be? How much more urgent should our message be? Jesus finishes up with another parable. He finishes up with another parable, a parable that explains why. Why we will reject such blatant, obvious truth. It's clear, it's bright, it's shining, but we reject it. Why? Point three, <clears throat> God will not hide the truth. God will not hide the truth. Jesus goes on to say in verse 33, that no one lights a lamp and puts it away in a cellar nor under a basket, but on the lampstand, so that those who enter it may see the light. This is a basic truth that Jesus gives. It's just a very basic, obvious truth that no one will ever refute. Namely, that no one ever lights a lamp and then hides it. Pretty simple. No one's going to go through all the trouble of filling a lamp with oil, putting a wick in it, lighting it, and then hide it under a basket or under a bed. That would be silly. That would be pointless. Otherwise, the room would be dark, hard to navigate, and I went through all that trouble for nothing. No, nobody does that. So no one goes through all that trouble just to hide the basket. But what do they do? They put it on a lampstand. Put it on a lampstand so that others may see when they walk into the room. So Jesus is saying that verse 33, this light, is, it's him. It's him. It's his word. It's the word of God. It's about Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the truth of God revealed. The word revealed, scripture fulfilled. In fact, Jesus has, he's saying here that Jesus has no intention of concealing or hiding the truth of who he is. He's not going to be cryptic. He's being clear. He's been demonstrating it over and over and over again. Jesus is not concealing the truth, but he is putting it on a lampstand for all to see. He is shining brightly. This is not a light problem. Jesus may conceal things in parables. Remember back in Luke 8, we talked about the fact that Jesus may conceal things in parables, but he's concealing it from the heart of heart. He's concealing it from the blind. The fact is, is that if they had known the scriptures, they would have known the God of the scriptures. And if they'd known the God of the scriptures, they would have known God incarnate. Regardless of whether they understood the parable or not. His own disciples didn't understand the parable, but what did they do? They sought the God incarnate to get the answer. 
They came to him for the answer. Understanding the parable was not the indicator of whether you were blind or not. It was, did you see that the one giving the parable was God incarnate? Coming to save souls. Coming to rescue you from sin. Would you see that and hear his message and come and seek the answer? Or would you write him off as a crazy person and not even care what the answer is at all? The fact is, anyone who would have ran to him for an explanation, Jesus would have given it. He would have given it gladly because they would have been seeking the truth. They would have been seeking the wisdom. So the issue here is not that truth has been concealed. The issue is, is not that light has not been given. The issue is blindness. The issue is blindness. The issue is not the revelation in which we need more revelation. We need more evidence. It's not the problem. The problem is with the eye. The problem is with the eye that, that looks at the evidence, that sees the evidence, that sees the light. Verse 34, he says, Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is clear, your whole body is also full of light. But when it is bad, your body is also full of darkness. <clears throat> So watch out that the light in you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light, without any dark part in it, it will be wholly illuminated, as when the lamp illuminates you with its light. And so we have two lamps. We have two lamps here. The first lamp, the first lamp is the light of the glory of God. It's the light of the glory of God, His holiness revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. The second, the second is a light, or the second is a lamp, is your eye. Is the eye of the body. It's the very organ by which we see the world. It serves, Jesus says, as a lamp to the whole body. It serves as a lamp to the body. Now Jesus gives us two types of eyes, or two types of lamps, that see him and see the reality of our world. Okay, we have a clear eye. We have a clear eye. And the word for clear here means healthy, means sincere. I think one of the greater understandings is that it means it's broad, like it's wide open. It's an eye that is wide open. And then you have in contrast to that, we have a bad eye. We have a bad eye. And it says bad in the NASB. The ESV has it as an eye that is evil. I think that's a better translation. It's the same word, prasmos, not prasmos, the other word, as the word from verse 29 that says you're a wicked or evil generation. Same word. So we have a healthy eye that sees correctly. We have a healthy eye that sees correctly, that will see the light of Jesus, that will see truth revealed in him, and then the whole body is illumined by that eye that sees the truth. And in contrast, we have an eye that he says is evil. The eye that is unbelieving, in other words. It is an unbelieving eye. It is blinded by sin. It's an eye that is blinded by sin or blinded by love of self, love of this world, and it cannot see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It can't see it. It's blinded by its own glory. It's love of its own self. And so it's a broken lamp. It is a broken lamp that will not illumine the body, but it leaves it as it naturally is, dark. It leaves it dead. So there's the truth. There's the truth. The issue is not that there was not enough light. The issue is that there was, 
Not enough evidence. In fact, there was more light and more revelation than ever before. The issue was blindness. The issue was that every person that does not put their faith in Jesus Christ, the issue is always blindness. It's never an issue of evidence. You all have friends that say, oh, I just need more evidence. Neighbors that say, I just need more evidence. I believe if, if I just, God would just show me. It's never needing more evidence. Never. The issue is, it always has been whether or not your eye was healthy or evil. It's healthy or evil eyes. The healthy eye, the healthy eye will see Jesus as he is. The evil eye will see Jesus as we want him to be. The healthy eye will see the glory of God in Jesus and see how inglorious we really are. The evil eye will see Jesus as less than he is and elevate us as more than we are. It's clouded. The healthy eye will see the love of God and the mercy of God and salvation of God as beautiful and necessary. The healthy eye will see that as necessary and will be desperate to receive it because it knows its own condition. It knows and recognizes its own condition. It will seek to be satisfied in his love and mercy and grace, but the evil eye will see no need for mercy, will see no need for grace, will only see what it wants to see so long as the heart attached to it doesn't have to submit to anyone but itself. Desiring the truth, desiring God, or desiring sin. That is the contrast between the healthy eye and the evil eye. One that desires the truth, longs for the truth, seeks the truth, wants to latch on to the truth, and the one that wants self, personal autonomy, self-authority. To which Jesus says in the imperative, this is a command. Jesus says this, verse 35, he says, watch out. Watch out. This is the warning of our Lord. It says, watch out that the light in you is not darkness. This is a command. And so we should be careful. We should be careful at what we look to for truth. Some of us might be seeking a truth because we're made in the image of God and we, we want answers, we have knowledge, and we want to know but sometimes we look in the wrong direction for truth. Which is point four is this, that not all light is light. Not all light is light. Jesus gives them and us a warning. He gives them and us a warning that we watch out for what we let in. We watch out with what we set our eyes on or what we look to for truth. There is counterfeit truths everywhere. They're all over the place. They're in your TV. They're in your TV commercials. They're in your TV shows. They're in the magazines. They're in the books. There's counterfeit truths everywhere trying to deter you away from the one truth that saves your soul and sets you on mission for Christ. They are counterfeits. They're claims to truth. They're claims to the way. They're claims to enlightenment. We are to turn our eyes away from these worthless things. That's Jesus' warning. We're to turn our eyes away from these worthless things. If the truth is not found in Jesus, it's a waste. It's a waste. 
If, it's, if the truth is not found in Jesus, it's dark. It's not light. It's evil. It's not good. It's not real. It's fake. It's not good news. It's fake news. And it's sending you in the wrong direction. It will not light your path. It will not send you to God. It will not show you why you exist. It will not show you where you are going. It will only lead you into a road in which you will stumble and trip and fall and not know where you are going. It will lead you to the dark. The people of Israel, they were not looking to the word. They were not looking to the truth that they had. They were not looking to the word right in front of them, the word incarnate. They were not looking to them, to him or this as the source of truth. They were looking to the world, to the world system, to the leaders of their time. And they were looking to false teachers. They didn't want the truth. Like many of the people who seek false teachers today, they don't want the truth. They want to listen to somebody who will tell them what they want to hear. They want their ears tickled. They want to go to the Joel Osteens and the, the prosperity preacher because they love prosperity. And that teacher is actually God's judgment on them. And, it's this, and these teachers are God's judgment on these people as well. They want their fake news. They want the religious system because it's what's comfortable to them. They want their made-up God that says, well done, rule keeper. Not good and faithful servant. They deny the one true God because of the evil, unbelieving eye that looks only to the false truth because they only want to hear that their own self-serving desires and self-serving hearts want to listen to. This blindness, this blindness is not a spiritual handicap. We shouldn't think of the Israels like, oh, poor Israels. They're just blind. They can't help it. They can't help it. If they, and it's not their fault. No. This is a willful covering of their eyes with their own self-serving desires, and we were no different before Christ got a hold of us. If you don't know Christ, you are not handicapped blind. You are blinded by your own fleshly desires, and they are killing you. And they will end up ruling you and sending you into the dark forever if you don't seek the truth. We were not handicapped. The world that which we live in, the unbeliever, they are not handicapped. We were God-haters. We were God-haters, blinded by our own selfish ambition and desire and would not submit to him until he opened our eyes. And he did. And he did. He must be the one that removes the blindness from our eyes. He must be the one who removes the, the love of sin and the love of self from our heart. Like the man of Luke 18, this man that we'll find later in Luke 18, he desired to see again. Jesus opened his eyes and then he saw. question is, like the blind man, do you want to see? Jesus asked him, what do you want? He said, I want to regain my sight. Do you want to see 
upon hearing the truth of God's word, upon reading God's word, upon hearing the gospel week in and week out, do you recognize your blindness? Do you recognize your blindness? Do you recognize that Jesus is calling you to see him? If so, do not harden your heart right now. Do not harden your heart. Do not run from him. But plead with him as the man of Luke 18 did. He said, Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, have mercy on me. Open my eyes to see the truth of who you are. I don't want to be blind anymore. The psalmist of 119, I love the way the psalmist puts this truth. 119 verse 37, he says, Turn my eyes away from looking at worthless, at, at what is worthless, and revive me in your ways. Establish your word to your servant as that which produces reverence for you. Take away my disgrace, which I dread. The God of all mercy, if you pray this, not just these words, but if you have this heart that desires to see the truth, the God of all mercy will hear you. The God of all mercy will hear you. Plead with him. Plead with him this morning to do what only he can do. To open your eyes. To see the truth. Remove the scales of sin and self-righteousness. To let the light come in. To let the light come in and fill you with all truth. Church. Church, what do you look to for light? Your eyes have been opened. You believe. What do you look to for truth? To understand God, we can easily slip into looking in all the wrong places, can't we? Where do you look to for truth? To find the truth in this life, is it God's word? Or do we tend to kind of look at our circumstances to try to understand who God is? Whether or not how he feels about me, how he's operating in the world. We look at the news and then we define God's eschatology by looking at the news. We look at our own life and we decide if God loves me or not based off whether or not I did or did not get what I wanted or what I thought I needed. Are you looking to your circumstances? Are you looking to the, the news? Are you looking to the president? Are you looking to pastors, preachers? Are you looking to the word of God? Are you looking to man or to the word? Are you looking to the gospel that says, I love you no matter what your circumstances are, and I'm working in you to make you more like my son? That's love. Don't define me by your circumstances, God says. Don't define me by the things that happen in your life. You want to know who I am? You want to know how I feel about you? It's right here. It's right here. Don't seek signs. Don't look for signs and wonders to understand me. I'm not going to just give you signs and miracles to demonstrate who I am. I've demonstrated who I am in my word. You would do well to know it, keep it, treasure it. It'll guard you. It'll protect you. 
So that's the warning. Here's the promise. Here's the promise. He says, If therefore your whole body is full of light, with no dark part in it, it will be wholly illumined as when the lamp illumined you with its rays. Point five is this, that those filled with truth shine the truth. Those filled with the truth shine the truth. He says, if, and it is, if your eyes have been opened, if your eyes can see, if you can see the glory of Christ, you can see the love of God for you, you can see you as you really are, you can see the world as it really is, then your whole body will be full of light. No falseness in you. No darkness in you, he says. Meaning that we don't believe just some of what God says when the light comes in. We believe all of it. All of it. We fully submit to who he says he is. We don't just hold on to any of our old self or old ways. When you see Jesus and you understand who he is, it removes all darkness. All darkness, all the lies that we used to believe and cling to that was keeping us from salvation. These are eradicated as soon as light floods in. I still think I'm kind of good. No, that's gone. I still think I got to do something to earn his favor. That's gone. Soon as you see the glory of God and his mercy and grace for you and how utterly desperate you are for it, all those lies that kept you from believing and trusting and receiving that salvation, they are all gone and you are filled with truth. You are filled with truth. Jesus says that the evidence of a healthy eye is the promise that you will be wholly illuminated, fully illuminated. This is 100%. 100% filled with truth. This, this wholly illuminated, it means radiant. It means shining brightly. The very thing Jesus was, the very thing Jesus was, the light of the world, the exposure of darkness, the exposure of the human condition, the exposure of sin, the beacon of truth, we now become. We now become. We now get to become this radiant lamp as the lamp, being Christ, the Word, fills us with all truth. His truth the joy, the joy of knowing the Father, the, know, the joy of being his child adopted into his family fills us and puts us on mission. Fills us and it puts us on mission. Who are you? Who are you, child of God? That's the answer to that question. Where do you come from? Your heavenly Father who made you and loves you and keeps you. Why do you exist? To enjoy making much of Him, worshiping Him, 
Where are you going? You're going to be in his presence forever and ever and ever. He has given you every answer to life's most ridiculously difficult questions, and you have the answer. You're secured in it, and there's so much joy in that that we can live our life shining brightly, telling the whole world, you know why you exist. I do. I know. I'm filled with all truth. No one, no one has ever had their eyes opened and then they just run around with their eyes shut. You have the truth right here. You have the truth. The person who has been blind but has their eyes open, they don't run around going just with their eyes shut. No, they, they open their eyes. They're constantly looking at what they've never seen before. They're taking in more truth and more light and more, more, more wisdom. Their eyes are wide open. They're wide open. They're humbled by God's glory. They're ready to see. They are astounded by what they see, and they can't wait to tell everyone, look at what I see. Look at what I see. That's the response of someone who's been blind and now sees. This means that if we have seen the truth of Christ in the scriptures, then like a blind person who now sees and wants to see more, how much more should we be seekers of the truth? To be continuously filled with more truth, more understanding of who God is so that I can be the light and to be the proclaimer and beacon of truth. Why would we not want to see more of him in his glory? Of course we would. If seeing the truth produces more faith, more repentance, more worship, which I was created for, then of course we would want more and more and more. Everyone, everyone who has had their eyes open to the truth, Jesus says, will be filled with the truth and will also radiate the truth to all around them. So in other words, again, you will bear fruit. You will be a beacon of truth. I like to think of us as like solar-powered flashlights that have no ability to really create any light of our own. But when the light of the knowledge of the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ shines on us, when we soak up all of its rays, we now can produce light and cast a light on this dark world. Expose sin, expose darkness, be loving, be gracious, point people to the love and grace of God. What greater mission is there? What greater purpose is there?